You are listening to the Moments in Marketing podcast and its host, Dima Mackey, where fellow traditional and digital marketers share their stories along the way. This is the place where we will dive deeper into some of the strategies, processes, and ways to excel in your digital career. We all know that success stories do not come easy and overnight, so we'll try to get to the bottoms of it. Whether you're looking for how to get into the digital marketing industry, or launch your own project, or just want to learn from someone's experience, this is a great place to be. Stay tuned and enjoy. So hey everyone, and this is Dima McKay from Moments in Marketing Podcast, and today I'm really excited to record my first episode with Ryan Glass from Omnicom Media Group New York, who's been working in digital marketing and SEO for the last 10 years. A little bit of background, me and Ryan have connected before due to some common SEO work we had to do for our clients, and he's been of a great help, and it's been a pleasure working and learning from him. I think Ryan's story is pretty remarkable, and I was always a strong believer, and still actually am, that one of the best ways to learn is to hear out exciting stories from other people. So thanks again, Ryan, for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. This this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, and you're right, I, I completely agree that hearing about how others started, uh, you know, generally in terms of a lot of people in our industry may have like imposter syndrome uh, and, and to just take a moment and think like, no, you know, I, I know a lot of great stuff. I bring a, you know, a unique perspective to marketing, not myself, but like each of us in marketing and, and to hear about where others come from can be can be greatly rewarding in terms of just like understanding the, the different approaches that each other takes and how we can all come from different angles, but, but ideally we're working towards the same goals. Yeah, totally. And yeah, just to start with, with a myriad of questions out there that I can ask you, the first would be pretty boring, but really important. So for those of you who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Yeah. So as you highlighted, I currently work uh, for Omnicom Media Group in the U.S. Uh, my title is Head of Content and SEO. Uh, which means I work with all of our U.S.-based SEO teams across the network um, at our various different agencies that we have within Omnicom Media Group. And a lot of my role is, is working on new business pursuits and working on creating either creating new SEO products, new projects and deliverables, refining existing ones that we have, and, and spending a lot of time working with the teams that we have at the agencies in terms of how are they already doing some great work and continuing to to refine and push things forward and then help facilitate knowledge sharing across different work groups so that we can really have a sense of community across everybody who works in SEO. You know, I feel like that's really central to how a lot of us sort of came up in the SEO industry, right? There's there's nothing where we're going to school or, or, or you know, or there's very few things where we're going to school or receiving a formal training. And a lot of it is based on learning neat and cool things that others in the industry have done and then considering, hmm, would that work on my clients? And so help me helping to expedite that internally with what we're doing across the agency has uh, been a really rewarding experience for me. And it builds on some of the things that I was doing before joining the agency side when I was in-house. I worked for a number of years for U-Haul International in various capacities. And then from 2011-ish to 2016, primarily in a digital marketing capacity, fluctuating at times between being SEO or analytics specialized and other times into more generalist practices across digital marketing uh, as we evolved the program and really grew out all of our capabilities there. So, you know, I think that between those two sort of things where it's let's really ramp up what we're doing in a lot of practice areas that that 
you know, propelled me now in my current role towards, hey, let's really, you know, look at how can we experiment, how can we accelerate areas where we're successful, and how can we then, you know, create that as a value for ourselves and for our clients. Yeah, I think that that's a great introduction. But before that, uh, can you walk me through what, what you were doing before, like, and how did you get into SEO in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, before I got into SEO or really even any kind of digital marketing, you know, I, I started at U-Haul as my after school job when I was in high school. Uh, I was taking calls in their um, emergency road service. So basically, if somebody got a flat tire or, you know, they left the lights on on the you know, U-Haul, for those who aren't, you know, aren't aware, it's like rental trucks and trailers primarily is what people think about. They actually, you know, own a number of different business lines and are industry leaders in a lot of areas. But the iconic one that you'll see in like Hollywood movies is somebody using their equipment for for moving. Right. And yep. so you're, you're, you know, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of pieces of equipment. Eventually there's something's going to happen or it's a flat tire or like I said, somebody left the headlights on and now the, now the battery's dead by the time they're ready to drive or, you know, various just things like that that happen mechanically. And my job was answering the phone and helping get, get a mechanic out to those people who are having an issue. Um, and then from there I moved into a general customer service role uh, and what that gave me over uh, over the years that I spent working in those two capacities was just the opportunity to talk to literally hundreds of thousands of customers, right? People who are in a very stressful situation when they're moving, or they have, or they're calling us to follow up about what you know what they experienced during that stressful situation and, and what may not have gone, you know, incredibly well for them. You know, a fair amount of them did call in a compliment. That's definitely something that picked up as we expanded our web presence was people being able to come in and get leave reviews and help us learn more and more of, you know, not just the negative side, but their overall user experience. But through all of those conversations, it almost tr treated me as a masterclass in marketing because I definitely wasn't there to, you know, defend the company in any way. I was there to help the, help the consumer and to understand that like at the end of each of these figures on, on a graph or chart, or in that case on a receipt or contract, you know, as a family, as somebody who's trying to move into a new home or they're moving to, you know, whether whether you're moving up in life or you're moving out of necessity, you know, um, just to have that sort of person to person connection about something, I think has really helped me out in my career. And then while I was going through um, a number of different roles from from customer service that led me into, you know, some more senior positions and uh, got to work on some special projects and help launch remote working, uh, you know, helped come up with some in-house technologies that we use to be able to facilitate sort of remote working and decentralize the, the need for like one specific call center, um, as well as help train a lot of the actual store location staff on what were some of the common issues that were being reported and how could we, you know, basically rectify and do better things like that. And then help launch a number of other systems and special projects over the years. While I was doing that, of course, I was also, you know, sort of in my own exploratory phase where I was deciding the first time I went to college, I didn't finish right away because I didn't really like the degree program that I'd gone down. I, I was originally a fine arts photography major mm -hmm. and just got, you know, I, I really I still love taking pictures, but I after apprenticing with some photographers, I learned how much time they spent being basically small business owners. Um, and that made me really reconsider, like, is this worth finishing my degree for something that I feel like isn't teaching me anything about the hard lessons that these people are learning and running their business as photographers. So I was on this journey of discovery. What, what do I want to do? What do I want to be when I grow up, basically? And I had a I had a good job that was paying the bills and it was very stable and it was with a company that wasn't going to go anywhere. 
Um, you know, it's almost a recession-proof product line that they mm-hmm. have there. So it, it allowed me to go on this journey. And part of that was I, I liked writing. I liked creating content. Uh, you know, I had various different blogs over the years. Uh, sometimes I have projects with some friends of mine where we were doing podcasts of our own. This is like 2010, 2011, like no podcast app. You literally had to plug your phone into iTunes on, you know, once a week or whenever you were ready to download the new batch of podcasts and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um played a lot of video games, got to know a lot of people on like the community management side of a number of gaming companies, things like that. I was just on this, like in, like this insatiable curiosity journey as I kind of knew, you know, I've got a good job, but I really want a career. And, and what do I want to do? What do I want to get into? And then as I was working on, you know, the podcast with some of my friends, I started to think, okay, we have, we have some goals. We want to, you know, we want to get enough listeners that we start to get free stuff for, for having the show. We'd really love if we had sponsors, um, you know, particularly we were looking to get like a beer company to sponsor us so that then, you know, this, we were mid to late twenties thing. Oh, this would be tremendous. If, if I just got these things for free, we ended up getting, you know, a number of uh, free video games, which is also like my second highest expense at that stage uh, behind rent was like, how much was I paying into to play video games? And like, mm-hmm. we were invited to go to events and, and knew a lot of people it was tremendous. But through doing that, um, you know, I had the goal of like, okay, well, to get there, we need to increase our listeners, right? So then I started learning about basically running ads and doing SEO uh, as an amateur because I wanted to increase the attention to to my podcast, right? So what do we have to do on our WordPress site? How can we start to rank for, for these terms? What's somebody going to look at in Google that then the, I think they'd have an enjoyable experience or at least would chuckle a little bit and maybe reshare our podcast episodes, uh, and so I was doing that for, you know, for a couple of years before I got into a position professionally where I could do SEO and SEO related projects. Uh, and at that stage, I'm like, oh, hey, I've actually been put in a little bit of sweat equity learning how to do this on my own. Um, now that I have access to some of the tools that I never would have, bought, you know, paid for a license on out of my own pocket, you know, that it really uh, clicked with something in the back of my brain. And, and you know, this was a really rewarding experience. Oh, that was a quite of a learning curve for, for, for you. And you said it, you started in 2010, yeah, doing SEO professionally? Yeah, yeah. That would have been um, late 2010 or early 2011, I think. So I would imagine like SEO space looked like very different from what it is now. And uh, could you say or could you share any particular courses or websites or blogs that help you? you know, to learn more about it. You, you were saying about WordPress, about starting your own podcast or anything specific that, uh, you know, helped you to stay current at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons why I, you know, started looking in at an amateur level into SEO before I even got the professional opportunity was because, yeah, as you're saying, things looked very different. And I want to say, you know, 2008, 9, 10, like a lot of the people who were approaching me as a site owner, uh, for the, for the podcast site or for the different blogs and things like that gave me a very spammy feeling, right? It was a lot of people who I thought mm-hmm. like just look at their Twitter bio, look at the websites that they were referencing and thought, oh, this thing isn't even, this doesn't look good to read as a human. This looks, key. you know, nowadays, we, you know, oh, this is clearly keyword stuff. We would expect this to not rank. Um, but, but, you know, we still had very spammy tactics that could work to a certain extent, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, white text on a white background and just stuff a bunch of keywords at the bottom of the page, negative mm-hmm. 99 pixels, all of these sorts of things. And, and even then those were, you know, kind of tailing down as I was getting into SEO professionally, but that's what made me start reading around a little bit is thinking, okay, I, 
I don't trust that I could hire anybody, even even on the budget that I could, you know, put aside for for promotion of these projects I was really passionate about. I just didn't feel like I could trust a number of people who were offering as practitioners. But I found the SEO community and the people who are writing about things, and and I just thought like this is not something that I see in other areas. I'm not seeing you know people write about uh, paid search. There certainly weren't a number of people who were writing as openly about you know, programmatic when the time came a few years later, things like that. Like mm-hmm. it really seemed unique to, to SEO. And I remember when I, when I got into it professionally, um, you know, there, there was, um, and I'm blanking on their name right now, but there, there was like an online certification course that I took as a series of webinars with somebody. And, and, you know, for the stage, they taught me some fairly basic stuff. I mean, I'd say that, you know, where we're at right now and the people that I work with a lot of times on the agency side, like, the, you know, the course that I took is, was adequate in terms of it taught me the same things that you would learn probably in the first 30 days um, as an entry level SEO team member at any agency. Right. Here's how to mm-hmm. here's all the elements of a page. Here's here's what kind of things to think about. Here's what keywords are and how to go through Google Analytics, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, very, very surface level, but it's obviously targeted at, you know, primarily small and medium businesses, maybe their business owner or their salesperson or something like that who's only got a finite quantity of hours to put on SEO, but to have a little bit of uh, verbal fluency on some of the core concepts, right? From there, um, I ended up spending a lot of time reading Moz. I was just voraciously rewatching every Whiteboard Friday that I could as far back as, as seemed relevant. Uh, and, and honestly, I part of how I got into SEO was through years of being on Twitter um, and working with people from, from the customer angle at U-Haul on Twitter, helping build out uh, you know, Twitter programs and social media overall. And so it was that my natural place to go as I started reading, you know, whether I was reading Distilled or Moz or way back when I was even reading SEO book, just to have like a point counterpoint to some of the folks who are, you know, positive and, and believed the stuff that Google was saying. Uh, and, and then I started thinking like, well, these people, obviously authorship was a big opportunity that we saw around that same time, right? Uh, so there's a number of people who were increasingly doing a better and better job of sharing how to find them online, how to interconnect the people who are authoring a blog post on one of these industry blogs, you know, to find them on Twitter or, or LinkedIn or wherever. And so I want to say since 2011 or, you know, maybe 2012 at the latest, like I've been using a curated, um, you know, Twitter list as soon as lists became available. Uh, and before that, I was, I was just heavily curating everybody that I could follow on Twitter to make sure that I was seeing things that were coming up in the news and not in terms of like wanting to be on the bleeding edge, but because I think that when it's shared by people that you, uh, you, you get to know who people are, what they're sharing, what types of things interest them. And then it almost becomes a qualifier in the same sense as like, if you have a favorite author, then you know that when their next book comes out, you have an idea whether it's going to, you know, what genre it's going to be in, what, what it's going to be about, that, that sort of thing. Even if it's not in a series, you kind of know what to expect. And so when there's people that I follow on Twitter, whether it was their original material or things that they were resharing, then you automatically say like, okay, now I know I need to go through and read this and decide, is this a new input that goes into my RSS feed? Is this something that I, that I circle back to regularly? But, but just such a, a voracious appetite for, for learning more and more about how to apply the digital techniques, basically, to the things that I already knew from all my years working with customers and understanding the language that, that customers use and the people use when they're shopping or, or post-purchase um, and how to really then start to interpret that into a way that we can do a better job communicating with our marketing materials online. 
Yeah, I would totally sign for that. And actually, I uh, I read a book. My my first uh, interaction with SEO started back in college, here at Seneca in Toronto. And uh, yeah, I read then a book. Do you know Eric Ange, The Art of mm -hmm. SEO? That that was the turning point for me. And then after that, I started to discover tools that he was talking about, following the blogs, and kind of doing the same as you did. Uh, I didn't do curated list a list. I just followed people that uh, I saw they were like uh good uh teachers and uh you know kind of had some weight in the in the space and actually i'm still doing that to, to this very day uh, i open my twitter feed and see what what's happening in the seo world and yeah the, just going back a little bit to to, to the time when you were working at u-haul uh, uh i think i read in the article in one of your other interviews that u-haul uh, at the time had twenty thousand locations uh how did you do a lot of local seo like what kind of seo job you were primor primarily involved from the beginning till the end yeah absolutely so so when i got into seo at u-haul my job title then was just web analyst and there was um, th two or three of us that worked as web analysts within, you know, the digital arm of the organization. And I spent a lot of time working with the designers and a fair amount with the developers, but obviously they, mm -hmm. you know, were, were typically heads down unless we were collaborating on a specific project. Um, but whereas the designers were more on terms of like, let's just talk about ongoing trends and what are we seeing from the consumer and how can we ideate new projects to work on? So, so spent a good amount of time talking with them based on the data and, and behaviors that we saw on the site. And we got to a stage where I was primarily doing user testing and usability studies. And we were coming up to a, a regularly scheduled code freeze, right? A lot of businesses have mm -hmm. this where you're going into your peak season. So you put a code freeze on because you don't want to break your funnel when you're into the peak season, certainly. So with that coming up, then my boss at the time said, hey, nobody's ever done SEO on our website. Can you take a look at it? And, and admittedly, at first, I was reluctant because I felt like this wasn't a big enough project. Like, oh, SEO is going to be like two or three months. I mean, I, yes, I'm going to do it because I don't have anything else on my plate right now. And, and I don't want to turn it down. But like, what else can we maybe look forward to in the future? And then I got into it and I started to analyze our site and started to run crawls and learn learn about how to how to run crawls and how to diagnose problems. And if you've if you have a enterprise website that's never had SEO done before, there's also a situation, and if you're like myself and this is your first time doing SEO, um, there's a situation where you don't know what else you can achieve because you're doing, you're hopefully doing better than you were doing last year. And a lot totally. of that's just by nature of how the internet was growing year over year, right? And so you think like, how, what's to say we can do better if we're, we were already an industry leader just because of the brand equity, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so there, there wasn't a playbook on how much better could this get? Certainly there was things that we needed to do in terms of like site health. Right. And there was a lot of issues that we had, especially in local, as, as you highlighted, that became one of the first sort of battlegrounds that, that we got our arms around, because whereas not a lot of people could beat us for uh, product lines that, that everybody knew U-Haul was was an industry leader. And certainly within local, you, you weren't just going after how, how good is your site, how authoritative is your site, but obvious, but also, you know, centroid bias. Where's your brick and mortar compared to where's your user demand at? Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time working on local, um, you're right, in terms of the quantity of locations there were, and that presents a challenge in and of itself because then you get into uh, how much can you prioritize or sculpt your listings within a city, um, particularly when you're working in-house and you think about not every store offering the same services. So then you may have an opportunity in terms of 
well, if we've just invested in a brand new store, what can I do to make sure everybody sees that? Certainly, I want the people who it's most convenient for to see it, but I also maybe want to show it off to everybody. If there's a service that we're offering only there because it's a brand new store that we've built and now we have product line expansion and the other store that is probably also perfectly good and maybe a mile away from you doesn't offer this. So how can I really think about the representation um, for local across the the mix of opportunities that I have within a given, you know, like a DMA or, or a major city or something like that? Um, you know, one of the things that I talked about when I when I previously gave a talk on Moz back in 2015, talking about local for enterprise, um, was that I was definitely lucky that at U-Haul we had a directory listings team um, with a number of people who had, who were you know professionals in that experience that had that had a lot of expertise from prior years in terms of auditing the yellow pages ads that U-Haul had as one of the largest advertisers, uh, you know, during that era. And then when we pushed for being completely digital, um, we had you know, people that had that experience were really able to lead and drive what we were doing in terms of directory listings, NAP information, listings management, things like that. You know, obviously, for, for a product line like renting a truck or trailer, where the consumer might not even think that they need to go online because they drive by the store all the time and they see the trucks out front, so they just think something's always available. I can just show up whenever uh, and come get it, right? It's yeah. almost like you would never conceive of, I need to reserve a shopping cart at a grocery store. Or of course, they always have shopping carts at the grocery store, right? And then you get there and you think like, oh, actually, no, these are all reserved. Oh, man, I told you that's unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. But so it's so crucial to have, you know, NAP information that was correct and that was, you know, everything that was wrong with the system for how directory listings and location information was recycled within the ecosystem and, and where poor where certain players in the ecosystem could republish what they probably should have known was inaccurate information and things. I'm so thankful that we had a whole team who was working on that. So on my side of things, we had to work on what I was mentioning a few minutes ago about how can we sculpt things? How can we look at one, our templates on brand.com and what are we, do, what are we doing there to make sure that we have information that's suitable for the user journey. So when somebody does come in on this as a landing page out of map pack um, or from Google maps app or, or what have you, that you know, when they come through, that they have a good landing page experience, that it gets them into the funnel. How do we balance the, the things that we want the user to do on the landing page along with the things that we'd want to do to help that rank within local and regular organic search? True. So that is a lot of like work in terms of analyzing and like actually updating those naps and working with the uh, dev team to, to make those implementations, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't want to give away any of their secret sauce, but I'd say that you know, one of the things that was an outgrowing of my, you know, um, user testing and web analytics phase was that when we went into SEO, conversion rate optimization was just like a no brainer, like, like doing those two as separate fields is still to this day, very foreign to me. I get it that there's a lot of times where you want to think about, oh, this is SEO as a acquisition channel, similar to, to paid search or programmatic. And you just get people to the site and then a whole different team owns what happens on the site. But maybe, you know, because I started in-house and we had, and I had that same background, it was, of course, I want to attract people to the site, but I want to attract people who are going to have uh, a positive experience that are going to like what they see. Maybe they're ready to buy today. Maybe they're, you know, if you're, if you're renting something to move your whole house, not, you know, that you're on a different timeline, right? In terms of when you're pricing things out versus when you're ready to reserve all of that. So I need to make sure you have a positive impression so that you come back and you don't, you know, maybe next time instead of going to Google search, you just go right to our website. 
mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it's a five letter brand name. You take, it's easy to type in. You're going to remember that. So having a great positive experience is part of that. And, you know, we, I was also lucky that we had a strong culture of testing, lots of A-B testing, ton, tons of testing going on all the time. Um, and because of some of the tools we use and the tests that were going on, I was the type of person who, even if the A-B test was looking at only one change or one particular page in the funnel, I would then still follow through and use the tools that we had to see what that user did when I was going, you know, so if I'm, if I'm doing a sample set to just make sure the A-B test is firing right and that we're tracking the right data, I just get curious and, and keep going through and follow those users. And that would lead to some of the, the, the best, most profitable discoveries that we found, you know, and one of them was better understanding the impact of seeing a location page at some, at any point within their journey on the website. And that really shaped how we thought about these. So one, it, it's crucial to have good information that's published for people who are going to in, in, actually end up transacting in person. So then the, the website was, you know, exactly that, like a digital yellow pages at that stage. It was also crucial for having that quality landing page experience for people who are still in the early stages. Uh, but also we get, began to understand the role that that page played when maybe you did come through on the homepage or an unbranded search. But if at any point you saw a location page and what content you saw on that page, then how that impacted your likelihood to reserve that day or not um, really helped us to better understand what we were doing. And, and it was one of the first cases where I got to this mindset that, that I later termed as like my biggest job was helping the company get out of our own way. Right. We need to have a quality experience for the user and then also understand at what point are we overworking this and do we just seem to let the user accomplish the goals that they set out for themselves? Totally. Yeah, I would agree that testing is very important in SEO. And uh, many would argue that uh, if you don't test, you can do proper SEO because like it always changes and never stays the same. So you need to try and test new techniques techniques. But with that uh, also, with that said, it's also impossible to do the test always right, right? So can you mm-hmm. share maybe a story or a test where the it didn't go uh, as planned or like uh, when it failed? It can be anything like content test, CRO or technical uh, test. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd say one of the one of the hardest lessons to learn and the hardest one of the things that you you probably I'd recommend everybody try this early on in your testing career, run an AA test. Right, like make sure that your infrastructure is set up correctly, no matter what whether you're using uh, sorry, sorry to jump in. you're using to, to Can you yeah. elaborate a little bit on AA test? What that mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like if we're thinking about a typical A B test would be like, mm-hmm. oh, let's A B test different text on this button, or let's A B test oh, okay. different, you know, call to action or headlines. An AA test would be let's do that, but have the two variants be identical and make sure that the way that we're running the test is actually evenly split. Because you, you would imagine that like, okay, if I'm going to, uh, let's, if I'm gonna A-B test the text on the button and see which, which text gets people to click the button more often, and I, and I know that I'm going to get, just for simple math, a thousand visits this week, ideally I wanna make sure 500 C variant A, 500 C mm-hmm. variant B. And I, and I believe that I have an established conversion rate for variant A because it's the one that's already up there, right? So I guess I should say control instead of variant. Um, but if you, and then you run an A-B test and you, then you, then you think that all the math is correct. But you should probably first, you know, at least once run an AA test. And so you do, you're going through everything, but there is no variant. They're both identical. And then see, are your conversion rates actually the same afterwards? Or do you, do you figure out that, you know, 
were you even able to get to, to be 500 and 500 is, is your technology maybe the first 500 of the day are all seeing the control and the second 500 see the variant and then that's gotten into the impact of like day parting and how what the consumer is doing throughout the day or sometimes you just realize that um, you don't even really necessarily have as steady as you thought conversion rate on the control. Um, so basically, it's just to go through the steps and make sure that everything that you're doing for your AB or your multivariate testing is actually going to give you reliable math. Um, so, you know, do an AA test to make sure that everything is set up there and that there's no obvious gaps. Because if you run the AA test and it comes out that, you know, you have a 5% difference in conversion rate between, you know, two of the things that are identically, they're actually identical to the user, then you figure out you have to go back through and retool your testing methodology. And I'd, I'd say the the second piece of advice is then something that I thought was always obvious before, but I'd say definitely over the last few years working working across uh, working across a lot of different projects, um, there's a lot of people who are taking statistical significance for granted. You know, um, it should be available somewhere in the in the library on Moz, but I know there was a MozCon talk. I want to say 2014, maybe 2013, 2014. Kyle Rush gave a talk at MozCon and, and he spoke about a lot of the um, conversion testing that he did when he was working for political campaigns, for US presidential campaigns, um, where they just had you know so many visits coming through, so much site traffic that they constantly had to have a series of, of tests uh, queued up because they were going to hit statistical significance in a very short window of time. Um, but I see a lot of people who get into testing and they're more concerned about the dates and less concerned about when they when they've actually hit statistical significance and and I understand you know you have projects you have developer queues and time available things like that um, but you need to make sure that it's rooted in statistical significance when you're going through this so that you can believe that these tests are reliable especially if you're you know if you there's the likelihood that you're going to then layer additional tests on that assumption later on so if I'm a, going back to the example if I may be testing a button I need to make sure that I'm hitting that you know statistical significance that I'm confident in which one's the winner out of that because then a month or a quarter or a year from now I might want to test the headline on that page and I need to know that that I have you know secure data things that I'm sure about sorry not secure things that I'm sure about when I when I'm testing on that so I'm not just layering you know maybe a false assumption on top of another false assumption that is actually a great piece of advice I actually never done I think in a way like uh, AA test as you described only a B test and uh, specifically just showing the different pages for different but buttons uh, or different layouts to two different groups of people but yeah that's that that's something that uh, I'll uh, if you have some information about that and you can share after it be very appreciated and also uh, another thing I wanted to ask you from your experience you've been working in U-Haul and it's like in-house right and now you're at uh, OMG it's more like a client side uh, which one you prefer better or like what's the difference from your your view oh yeah man I mean that, that that's a great question and it's one that I often ask people now when they're interviewing for to join the team uh, at the agency side, if I see that they have in-house experience, and I'll, I'll ask them the same thing. Obviously, it varies based on based on where you're at. I was at U-Haul for for a number of years, so I have you know in-depth experience at, at one particular client, and now in-depth experience at one particular agency. Um, so certainly, there's people who've been at multiple agencies and, and been exposed to multiple different sets of culture. Likewise, people who've gone you know who've been in-house and worked at different places. So your mileage may vary. But the way I uh, the way I felt about it was um, 
they can both be very, very stressful, very fast paced. Like to my mind, there's not this, like a lot of people who are working agency side have a goal of getting in-house because they feel like there's less work to do in-house. Things are, things are slower, work-life balance, mm -hmm. things like that. Obviously, I think those are important where, wherever you're at to fit it to work somewhere that you feel is rewarding, somewhere that's you know mentally stimulating, hit, ticks all the boxes that you want in your own career. I would say that when on the agency side where I'm at right now, I love that I'm able to consistently work on different projects for different clients across a whole lot of verticals and that I'm able to then have somewhat of the challenge of, hey, if I'm able to get something that works, maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing a lot of video SEO for, um, for a client that's in, you know, that's in CPG, how, can I transfer these same principles over to an auto client or a hospitality client or a pharma client? Like, what, how can I take what I know in one area and, and apply it in another and then learn all the nuances of that new niche against the, the set of skills that, that I already have, right? And in that way, it's almost, to my mind, a little bit like uh, when you take uh, increasingly difficult math courses going throughout school, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're building on everything that you know. You're still, you're still using algebra and elements of geometry all throughout, even, even through calculus and things like that, right? So, you know, how can I take what I already know, apply it in a different shape, and then learn some new nuances and things like that? So I really, obviously, when you're in-house, you know, there's very few... Uh, companies you can work at. You know, when I was at U-Haul, we did have quite a few product lines. So I had some of that similar experience, um, but certainly not to the scale of working for an agency and certainly in, in my current position where I'm overseeing, you know, our whole practice and get to interface with a lot of brilliant SEO people who are working on a whole multitude of clients and, and get into the weeds about that sort of project. Um, also, I think, you know, in terms of uh, access to, to different tools, I think, you know, the, the situation is just that, you know, at an agency, we're expected to be experts on a number of, of tools and to have a POV about what tools we recommend and what tools do we use and bring to bear for our clients. And I think when you're in-house, obviously, that process is a lot is a lot slower or a lot less frequent. You, you know, you probably have not necessarily switching costs per se, but, but it's certainly a whole process if you want to switch out. Um, you know, one, one tools platform for another and, you know, the costs that are baked into legacy data that you may have within a given tool or things like that. So I think that's, that's also a benefit, but on the flip side, the benefit of, of in-house, um, you know, when I, when I was in-house, I was definitely working on something where I was directly contributing to the company that I own stock in. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, not to say that you aren't at, at an agency, but obviously it's a, it's a little bit more tan, you know, um, tangible when, you, when you're working in-house, especially if you're there for a number of years um, and you start to feel like I'm really helping to build something that is creating jobs, something that, that, that has a, a physical footprint. I can go out and touch our product. I can go visit our stores. I, I have friends who are using our brands, things like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, actually, uh, I never worked in uh, in-house. Uh, I only worked in Omnicom for, for the last... Uh... Four and a half years and yeah i, I like the uh, vibe and you know if i can say like working on different clients because each and every client it's uh, each each and every specific niche and you can get to know like a lot how this business works and how to do uh you know uh, like how how to test things it, it's uh, exactly how you said you can produce one video for one client and then you start thinking about okay how can i apply it in for for another client and uh, that is quite an interesting process for me too uh 
also, um, now you're a director at SEO and OMG. Um, can you tell us now what are your day-to-day -day duties? I wouldn't imagine that you are going and changing title tags and meta descriptions. So if you can, <laughs> yeah, share a little bit of more details about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe I should put that on my New Year's resolution to like go through and do some more title tags and stuff like that. <laughs> Definitely when I, when I joined Omnicom, um, I was fortunate enough to join already in a management position. So I did set that out for myself as a task. Um, you know, I joined in August of 2016 and I said, okay, by the end of this year, calendar year, I need to have, you know, soloed one of every type of project that we do, at least for the clients that I was working with, everything that was in scope for them. I need to do at least one of these on my own. So then I know how to manage people. I know what to expect out of them, what work goes into it, things like that. Right. Um, this is, this goes back to one of the early, uh, people that I met in my career, but there was somebody who told me once upon a time, you, you shouldn't change the work until you know the work. Right. So, you know, what, what, what are we doing right now? I need to be able to put myself in that person's shoes so that I can help better lead them. Um, which I think is a really key thing, thinking about leadership versus, versus management. And it's still something that I recommend anytime we bring in a new, you know, a new team leader, new managers, like you need to, you know, go through, even if you've done this at another agency or, or elsewhere in your career, like let's go through the paces, understand everything that goes into these work types, especially because as a team lead, you should be informing how are we continuing to refine that product going forward, right? I also believe that, you know, we as a, as a group in the U.S., we have, you know, a few dozen different SEO people across several cities. Um, I, I believe it's important that we hear inputs from everybody, right? Uh, sure. So part of my job is fostering the community that we have. We, you know, I do that through me being connected one-on-one -on -one with all of the team leads, working on a ton of new business and partnering with them. So I don't have a team uh, that just does new business SEO. We're working with the teams that would potentially be working on the account or that are working on other accounts for us at each agency so that I'm having more one-on-one -on -one time with them in terms of how are they thinking about SEO? We're, we're, we're collaborating on brand new clients that neither one of us have ever worked on, sometimes in verticals that we don't have an active client on. So we're, so we're deep diving on a lot about the vertical as well as the client at that or the potential client at that time. And I'm learning about them and, and their thought process and their marketing style and everything throughout. And then we also have a number of things that we do to foster the community, um, such as monthly events, newsletters, different technology that we use to, to collaborate and communicate. Um, you know, because it, it just makes sense that if there's, you know, 30 plus of us, um, you know, or 40 plus or however many, like it, it be, it's a very small number of people where I could say everything I learn and choose to share with them is all they need to learn. I think you get above two people. And you suddenly realize like there's much more like the wisdom of the commons versus just me saying what everybody needs to know. But I am happy to use my position as a megaphone to celebrate the success of everybody on the team when we do create something that's really neat or unique, when we get great feedback from a client. And likewise, when we get clients asking us questions that normally wouldn't fall within what somebody else might define as SEO, but we break it down and think, oh, this actually is about consumer intent or this is about How's our content doing in terms of meeting the goals that our customers want or, or our potential customers want? You know, how good are we at helping them understand what we have available and how we can provide them? You know, how can our clients solve the situations that driving a user to go to search and look for something? Um, so when we have those situations and I'm able to share that across the agencies through, you know, through different agency leadership and, and bring recognition to our team members who are doing really great work. I mean, that's one of the most rewarding parts of my day to day. So, you know, I'd say that it's, it's a pretty even split between 
new business? Um, what are we doing in terms of existing clients for, for refining deliverables or creating new projects and new products to offer to them? Um, and then just helping to do the knowledge sharing across teams and across channels. Yeah, the knowledge sharing is, is really important and it helps to, you know, kind of uh, align everyone from the team to own the new practices. And, and as, as we were spoken before the industry is changing and uh, everybody's input is valuable especially if you're uh, if you're genuinely interested in it. i myself like i always uh, share like stuff that i find uh, something you like for instance like have you heard about the recent uh, update from google that they're planning to tie cls core to the page speed algorithm and uh, add that uh, what's called badge uh, in the google serps mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton of stuff around like core web vitals that that's you know that's a, a great example where where I've said like hey I think I have an understanding on this but I really want two or three team members to help me with this because I recognize that that's an opportunity for um, some some curious and ambitious members of our team to to really plant a flag for themselves and build their future reputation as far as one for this particular situation if it turns out to be as big as I think it could be over the next. Uh, 12 to 18 months, but two, just in terms of being somebody who can understand and quickly digest, uh, you know, upcoming changes based on a very few set of signals and help us craft an action plan. Like it's very easy to to share the news, and it's definitely one thing that we never, as a culture, we absolutely abhor fear mongering, right? So like the whole mm -hmm. concept of like mobile geddon was just repulsive to me. It was, I mean, obviously, I understood the. It's almost like an ends justifies the means thing, right? Because I think all of us at this stage could say the hype about calling it mobile Geddon was so much worse than the impact to anybody who did nothing about it, right? But what it did was it got so many people to actually take the advice that had been out there for years and fix the mobile version of their site and stop having really bad mobile experiences for users. But I don't think, you know, there's only so many times you can cry wolf, in my opinion, right? True. Um, so while we're looking at core web vitals, I think it's very important to say, here's where here's where we're at. Here's what we think could be the repercussions if you don't do this. Here, obviously, here's what we've known from previous updates and things like that. Um, but to do it in a way where we're going to create an action plan and give something positive um, to the clients and in our discourse with our team members, it may in the end cost me the ability. Like I, maybe I could fear monger and get more clients or, or certainly when we're looking at a big enough agency, we have clients who don't have SEO active either because they have it with another agency and it's just not active with us or they feel like they just don't understand the value of it and i'm still trying to like you know work them on a journey of, of educate of client education on them, and like what else we could do by integrating seo with the other channels that they do have active so maybe in some of those cases i could say "Ooh, there's a big google update coming you really need us but that's not how you be that's not how you build a fruitful relationship or a relationship based on trust like it has to be here's what we think we can offer for you and where we can really help you and, and maybe that's part of me just going back on my previous experience in my life of, you know, creative, uh, you know, working as a photographer and, and thinking about this where I wanted to go for my career was one of those things like it's a it's a picture. You can see it. You, you either like it or you don't. And there's no there's no moral or value based judgment on whether you do or don't like something that's art works. But I can't like explain to you why you should like this art the same as I can't explain to you why you as a brand should want to give your users a better experience. That, that should be relevant that either you care about them and you and you want to help them and you want to be known as a brand that helps people or you just want to be a brand that squeezes everything you can out of anybody who's foolish enough to not immediately close your website. 
True, true. Uh, now we've talked uh, a lot about like how you how you help build a team and how you manage it. But what would you suggest to someone who wants to join your team or just in general, like in a junior SEO role? Uh, what would be the qualities that you'd be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 98% of my answer to this question is going to be uh, go look up Ruth Burr-Reedy's article on how to hire and how to interview. I think she's done this a few different times over the years, previously when she was at Moz and then at, at the uh, agency she's currently at. I'm not sure if she published it on their site or if she published it as a guest uh, on Moz. But you know, I owe her a lot of credit for really encapsulating the ideas that I had around how to do good hiring, right? And, and at this stage in my career, I've interviewed you know, thousands of people hired, you know, several, several dozens, maybe into hundreds of people over the years. And, and I think in my mind, I've had two, maybe, maybe three legitimately bad hires, right? And one of them was the first person I ever hired. And that's what made me really deep dive into how can I better think about this sort of thing. And what I've landed on was there's really three qualities that I'm looking for when hiring somebody. Uh, you have to be able to write well, Right. Yeah. The the concept that there's people who work in SEO and can't write a good meta description, or they think that they're an SEO writer, not a, not an actual writer. I mean, we we all we all wrote numerous essays going through school. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you didn't enjoy it, whatever. But but if you're in marketing and and you don't have the ability to turn a phrase or or to work on a headline or or a tagline or something like that, like I don't know, go back and read the classics. Go read like like your Ogilvy or I know that Will Reynolds gave a talk a number of years ago about like. J. Walter Thompson and, and several of the other like classic ad people from the you know 18, 1800s and things like that. Like go back and read the classics on how to write an ad and think about why is that really different than a meta a page description or a meta description on a page title, right? Or sure. a product description with, with how important Amazon and other retail SEO is right now. Like you have to be able to write, that's number one. Uh, and, and also how much do we write, spend time writing for our clients, right? Whether you're creating decks or writing POVs or just emailing them back. Like the ability to communicate quickly, provide certainty, provide reassurance, and demonstrate the appropriate level of expertise without boring your audience. Like that, that's to me the number one skill. Uh, number two is uh, analytical thought process. A lot of people get turned off when I talk about math, um, but but I really do believe whether you think about it, whether you think it's this way or not, a lot of the work that we do in SEO is you know some form around you know of, of doing math basically, right? Sometimes somebody. Will, We'll listen to this and tell me that it's not actually calculus, but that's like the shorthand in my head for thinking about the area under a curve. Um, so, but you know, a lot of the work that we're doing, you have to have an analytical thought process. You have to, you know, some of this comes with experience. This is what a lot of entry level SEO is, in, in my opinion, is you need to be exposed to a lot of data so that you can develop the pattern recognition, you know, in your subconscious, right? Um, when you're doing like a, an IQ test or, or something like that, and you're just seeing these shapes. And you, and you can either sit there and really pick them apart, figure out which one's which. If it's like, here's three shapes in a series, pick, pick out what the fourth one will be. Or you just get to that point where it's like, okay, my, my subconscious mind is telling me this is the answer. And that's, that's like your pattern recognition skills. I had a number of folks who interned with us previously as web analysts over the years. And this would be like a real make or break point for them. It's like, do you, can you quickly build up pattern recognition skills? If you're being tasked with doing weekly reporting, and you're just pulling data out of the source and throwing it into the Excel or uh, you know, or into SQL, Tableau, however we're, however we're gonna be reporting out on this. And all you see yourself is data processing and you're never once asking, why, is, why does the data behave in this way? What, what are the consumers doing differently on Monday versus Tuesday versus Sunday? 
um, then you then you don't realize that suddenly Mondays on a given week, Monday might be five times what it normally should be. Um, and th this is legitimately a situation we've run into where it's like some, you know, the tool may may overcount things. It may double count some things or it might we've had in the past situations where like one one out of several servers didn't report into the tool that day. Um, but if you don't recognize the pattern, then you don't know when we're collecting bad data. So we're going to down the stream, make different decisions, different marketing decisions based on bad data because some nobody early on spotted that this was a, a, an aberration to the pattern. And likewise, if when, you know, how do you know whether we should test certain things or not if you're not familiar with what's the current landscape? So, so writing well, having that analytical thought process, really understanding, um, you know, one, what is the current data telling me? And two, why is the current data telling me that? And how can I start to tweak and get closer to the goals that I want to accomplish? And then the third one is a little bit vague, but vague, but basically you have to internet, right? You need to be somebody who uses the, I mean, it's, everybody should, it's very tough to find somebody right now who doesn't internet, but you know, I have worked with people in the past and interviewed others in the past who just didn't, they never did any online shopping. They didn't create any content of their own that, you know, they had like a LinkedIn page because their school told them that you should have a LinkedIn because interview interviewers will look at your LinkedIn. Um, you know, definitely everybody needs to, to live the life that, that, that's genuine to themselves. But and, it, and it's important to have a diverse set of inputs and, and, a, and a team that's able to empathize with the with the consumer and the audience, not just be identical to everybody else that's on your team. But you still need to be able to empathize with some sector, some sector of our consumer, right? Whether whether you're a user of, of the product that your client or your company is selling or not, you still need to be able to understand the general online shopping consumer journey, right? From hey, I have this need, I'm going on a journey of discovery. Okay, now I've got a consideration set, all of that sort of thing. And even if you're not working on a on a D 2 C client or or any client that does retail or, or sells anything, there's still a similar journey for you know for if you're just running your own blog, what's the reason anybody should come and land on, on this blog? And what's it matter if I'm writing more articles if I don't know why anybody should come here? Um, so having that sort of being able to put yourselves in the shoe of, of the user. Um, and, I, and I think I'm on the extreme end of things, I'm actually super interested, especially if you're, if you're coming in for an entry level or other junior position where you maybe haven't had an opportunity to work on a ton of different projects professionally. I think, you know, it's very interesting to me to hear about somebody who is creating their own content. You might sort of cringe when you think about like the blog that you wrote in college um, and it's not your greatest writing and you were just expressing yourself and whatever. But if you if you maintained a blog for any period of time, um, you know, I'm impressed by one, you know, creating your own site. What, what have you done on there? What's your journey of learning how to how to manage your own site, your own content strategy? What have you done to put things up on there? Likewise, I think one of the things that we talked about before is like, if you have a considerable amount of karma on Reddit, I'm also impressed by that because then that says you're able to quickly jump into a community, understand, you know, the, the values and, and what's going on there. And then how can I create something that's going to resonate with this community? Right. I, I think obviously there's, there's a lot of different corners you could go to on Reddit, but um, you know, within, within that overall thing, there's still a lot of marketing skills that people are developing without recognizing it because this is something they're doing as a hobby. That's an interesting part about Reddit. Never heard it before, but I, I find myself sometimes uh, under uh, not even my name, but on Quora, uh, just uh, you know my nickname. I I am answering mm -hmm. the digital marketing questions sometimes, and the, the recent one was I got blocked on an Instagram. I, I think I got a sh shadow ban, and uh, I started <laughs> like doing all the actions. Uh, I like complaining on the Facebook. 
and trying to unblock it. I, like read everything I could on the internet. Seems like uh, it was just a hole uh, or a glitch in, in, in Facebook code or an Instagram code. And uh, once I figured it out, like uh, after like 10 complaints, uh, I, I've written a small explanation how to do it, like with the exact step-by-step -step process and that helped to I don't know, unblock 10 accounts to some people. So uh, yeah, I get what you're, what you're saying with Reddit, it's fun. So just to sum it all up, it's just writing skills like mar marketing copy, uh, then it's like being a good communicator and uh, having analytical skills just kind of to show uh, to showcase your ability to analyze and uh, present this data in a clear and concise way. And the third one was, can I say to be curious, like to do, yeah, you said like do internet, right? Uh, and yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, and, and I probably need to come up with an easier brandable way way to put that. But but yeah, really be able to get into the shoes of the target audience, right? Um, so, so like I said, you could be working on a client, for, you know, but let's say, for example, you're working on a, a jeweler client, right? Somebody who does really amazing diamond rings. Mm -hmm. How often is any one person going to be, you know, in that shopping journey, but you should be able to understand everything that somebody's going through, not just academically, you know, maybe, maybe you're not buying diamond rings all the time, but maybe you are, you know, you're, you are certainly doing occasional, you know, mid to high level purchases for yourself. Right. And so you can think about what, what was I doing when I'm buying, you know, uh, when I'm buying a brand new sofa, when I'm, when I'm, conceiving about, oh, do I want to get a new car this year or something like that? And you're going through that shopping journey uh, for, for something in terms of that. And I know that maybe there's somebody who works for a diamond ring company right now that's listening. And I, and I apologize that I just compared your product to sofas, but you know, maybe, maybe we can, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. Just for the sake of example, I think it's good and it's funny. Uh, uh, so uh, another question I wanted to ask you, uh, now we've talked about in-house SEO, agency SEO. Do you still have some uh, personal projects or any projects that you've done throughout your life? And not even in the beginning, but maybe later in the day, or like you do some consulting work and something that stood out to you, some interesting experience that you've uh, you've got uh, doing that? Yeah, I mean, when I started in SEO, you know, nearly ten years ago at this stage. There was a saying, and I'm sure it goes back quite a ways, but the saying was, if SEO doesn't freelance, you should fire them. And the concept, I understood it when I was working at, at U-Haul. This was this is a, a website that brought in a ton of, even before, like I said, even before we started fixing the SEO and the conversion rate optimization, they were already industry leaders in what they did. So it brought in a lot of revenue and a lot of leads, and, and a lot, it was a touch point for a lot, of, a lot of customers before we even started, you know, quote unquote, fixing it. Um, so I should, I shouldn't be using that as my sandbox to learn SEO. I should be doing it on, on other sites. And, and even when I've been a team lead, I've, I've, done, I've been known in the past to say, look, I have a, I have a unlimited hosting account with DreamHost, which shout out DreamHost. I've had them for almost a decade now. Uh, I have an unlimited hosting account. So tell me what you want your website to, what, what you want your domain to be Buy the domain or I'll buy the domain, whatever. And I'll register it and host it on here. And then you go out and build a site and test all your chops, like create a WordPress site, write about things, learn, test everything out. I definitely believe everybody should have some sort of sandbox. Where I'm at right now in the position that I have, um, admittedly, I'm not 100% sure about the rules in terms of me freelancing. But what I've done over the last few years is um, rather than paying clients of my own, I just work with nonprofits that I believe in. Um, and offer them, you know, my advice and, and my time and chat with them about things 
Um, I think, you know, that's a, that's a, any area where we can uh, donate our time and our skills uh, is going to be tremendous. So I think that, you know, opportunities like that are something that I'm grateful to have where I'm still able to, like, like we highlighted early in the conversation, I'm not spending a lot of my time these days rewriting page titles and, and meta descriptions um, and a lot of the really hands-on keyboard things. So, so I do enjoy it when I have the opportunity to do something like that or make those types of recommendations um, for, you know, for a cause or for an organization that I believe in. Makes sense. And that concludes the main part. Now uh, I'd like you to ask some couple questions. And uh, uh, this is the part that I call digital human blitz. I will ask you a short question, but your answer shouldn't be necessarily short, but you can try. So are you ready? Mm -hmm. So the first one is SEO dead? Oh man, SEO is dead. Long live SEO, right? I mean, I think the, the I'm actually working on a case study right now, like the classics still work a lot of times. But, you know, if you're in a competitive vertical, the classics aren't enough to get you where you need to go. You really need to be about where's the consumer going to go this year, next year, so forth. Right. So in that aspect, like we need to always be learning and we should always be killing what we've been doing before in favor of something that's new and better for the you know, for the consumer. All right. I'll take that. Uh, Hrefs or SEMrush? Oh, man. Um, SEMrush or SEMrush, I'll, I'll leave the pronunciation debate up to them. Um, but but yeah, I, you know, I've known a number of people that work there. Um, one of them actually bought me lunch on my birthday when we were at an event a few years ago. So uh, I, I, I mean, Ahrefs is a, is a fantastic tool set and I do like some of the unique data that they have, but I would say that, you know, tomorrow I'll be in SEMrush, I'm sure at some point. Gotcha. Yeah, I have both accounts as well. And thanks actually for sharing SEMrush with, with us. <laughs> uh, I hope nobody uh, is against that in our company. Uh, so yeah, a most important SEO skill. Oh my gosh. Most important SEO skill, I, I would say has to be, this is going to sound cheesy, but the ability to learn, right? You, ha you have to be somebody who really welcomes and feels uh, you know, like when you think about the Maslow's hierarchy and you get to self-actualization, like if, if you feel self-actualization when you're learning something and you're and you're gaining new skills or you're creating insights for yourself like that, that to me, it says you're on the right track with SEO. Um, you know, after that, I guess going back to the previous answer would be writing skills. I'll take that too. Uh, buying links or earning links? Oh, man, earning links. I don't, I don't buy links and I, I catch a lot of flack for saying, I don't build links. I build companies, mm -hmm. right? Like, like you earn links, create great content, work with, work with the other channels that are amplifying your content and just earn links. We, we've proven it. it. It can happen. And it's the best way to do it. Great. Uh, starting a site from scratch or buy an expired domain and, uh, with some authority and build it from there. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a good one. Um, I don't know that I, I have not in recent years purchased an expired domain uh, to try to capture that. So I don't really have an informed opinion on that. The the old school SEO in me, um, when the when the early on in my career in SEO was when we came into like Panda and Penguin and we were seeing a number of SEO agencies were being de-indexed for a while as like paying the price for their previous habits and buying links. And I always felt that I was lucky that when I was at U-Haul, I was, you know, in 2010, 2011, getting into SEO, working on a, an enterprise level website. I was lucky, I, you know, kind of myself lucky that nobody in the previous years had bought links when they thought they could fly under the radar. 
right? Like I mm -hmm. could just imagine toiling away on the site and finding progress and then being penalized for something that happened a decade earlier. Um, so that's still in the back of my mind anytime I think about starting a new project. And so I probably always default to start fresh, but if somebody has recent data on, on how you can do that, you know, safely and, and to a great extent, I'll, I'll absolutely applaud them. Cool. And the last one, uh, which hat will suit you more white hat or gray hat? Oh man. I mean, I have to, I have to be white hat. I have to say, you know, we're still orienting towards what can we do today? that is going to benefit us five years from now, right? Or, or I guess to say it the other way, five years from now, our jobs will be different. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. So what can we start doing today that we'll be doing in the future anyways? And to me, that has to be white hat, right? Um, you know, that has to be, what are we doing to orient towards the best value for the audience, for the consumer? How can we, sometimes we anticipate things that aren't, and maybe it's not even considered white hat because it's not something that seems like it'll be rewarded today, but it's towards the goals of, of serving the, you know, the consumer, the search user in a better manner. And we expect that eventually Google and the consumer will catch up with us. Got it. And uh, yeah, that was fun. And the very last question, and I promise and I'll stop torturing you. Uh, <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years and uh, in general SEO? Oh man, that, that's a terrific question. Um, I mean, at some stage in the in the near to mid future, I'd love to work at another one of our offices globally. Um, you know, I really love the team that I work with in, in New York and, and across the U.S. Um, but I think you know one of the advantages of working for a, you know a large agency or holding company overall is you know the presence that they have globally. So I think that would serve me really well in terms of my future career path. To, to get some experience working in another market and, and working with teams there and help me get a little bit more well-rounded. Um, in terms of where SEO will, will be in five years, I mean, I think what we're going to see is that the the medium will continue to change, right? I think five years ago, who, who among us could have necessarily predicted some of the more recent trends in Google and things like that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know that too many people in 2011, 12 would have thought about featured snippets, right? Um, and definitely think, you know, I think it's funny when we think about image search and how Google understands what's in a picture and you go back to some of the things that we forgot about. I remember in, you know, around when I started in SEO, there was an interview with Matt Cutts where he said Google was about 10 years away from understanding everything that's in a picture and being able to recommend products. And now that's like a feature that we take for granted on Pinterest and, and Google and like shoppable images and being able to understand what's in a picture or at least infer it other than having to have it tagged. Um, but it's still, we see very fundamental, you know, SEO fundamentals still play an important role. And I think a lot of times if you're diagnosing, why did I drop, why, you know, whatever, and you find out that somebody at a different given website hasn't really got their fundamentals locked in, you know, that that's still going to continue to my mind to be there as search engines get smarter and better at crawling and understanding what's in there there's still going to be a space to be rewarded for covering the fundamentals, you know, or as I think about in terms of marketing, when people think about like uh, the Moz blog, for example, which I think is still, you know, a quality website to read. But as we're, as each of us spent gets more and more experienced in the industry, we probably feel like a lot of the articles are like more and more basic. And it's just, it's not, it's that we ourselves have matured and gained understanding. And, you know, there's, to my mind, I say that there's, there's always more money at the base of the pyramid. Right. When you think mm -hmm. about like every, you know, there's always somebody's this year is always going to be somebody's first year doing SEO, somebody's first year doing any kind of marketing, digital or otherwise. 
right? And so there's always going to be people like that, that that need to receive the fundamentals. And I think that's going to be the same way for clients. And I think search engines have to take that into account that even at this stage, when SEO has been around for over two decades, how many brands, how many brand websites actually have sound SEO, right? And so thinking about what's the what's the graph for you know percent of websites with good SEO practices in place over time, search engines are still going to have to accommodate quite a few people. It's almost like for a long time, search engines still had or websites still had to be ready for somebody who was running Internet Explorer six because you didn't want to lose out on a sale or a lead because you were expecting a more modern web standard and somebody still had an old client installed from you know the 90s or something. So there's always going to be room at the base of the pyramid for, for that sort of thing. Um, but if we stay true to serving what people want and keep our, keep our eyes open to where's the ability to leverage a new technology, not just for the sake of it being shiny and new and being first. I know a lot of times in the agency side of things overall, there's like a joy in telling clients, oh, we're the first one to do XYZ activation. You know, it's more important to be the best ones to do it than to be the first one, I think. Um, but your SEO team should absolutely be a place where they can, you know, really drive that that state of digital intelligence, right? Because knowing what people are looking for online doesn't just have to tell you how to rank your website on a set of Google results, but it also tells you what's the language our consumers are using, right? There's a client um, of ours who's no longer a client, so I can't really share the the brand name, but I get along really well with the with the brand manager. Um, and it's unfortunate that we aren't able to still work together, but we worked with them on a campaign and, and I promise, I know this was supposed to be short, but I'll wrap it up soon. We worked with them on a campaign in 2018 for which they won awards in 2019. Um, and, and so shout out to them if you're listening for, for all the great awards work, but it really started on a journey from one of the first, um, SEO analysis projects we did for them way back in 2013, 2014. And we, and we kept working with them on it and they were like a little bit reluctant, a little bit slow to hear us tell them, hey, your tagline says X, but your consumers are always searching for Y instead. Like it was literally to our mind thinking about the difference between synonyms and why is it that Google can sometimes understand synonyms and find them to be interchangeable and other times they feel like it's a real change in intent or a real inflection point, right? Um, And we were able to, over years of showing this to them, we backed it up with data and we got them not only to make the change on their website, but once they made the change on their website, they saw both the response in Google, but also response in consumer behaviors and sales. And we were actually able from an SEO insight to get them to change the wording on their packaging and their overall campaign tagline and everything to be better aligned with the words that their target audience was using when they turned to search. And so I think that type of work is where we can, as I said, get SEO to be a, an SEO or, or a search Intel layer across everything you're doing. That, that can be, ta- like I said, that could be TV. That's in this client's case, they were doing it on their packaging, you know, and they won awards for the fact that this came from a digital insight and they layered, you know, they layered it across so many different touch points. Um, I think that that should really start to think about SEO beyond uh, just what are we doing on page or on a website. And obviously the, the interaction between paid and organic search and how do we integrate things holistically there where I think our agency is doing a tremendous job. Um, but also, how do you start to think about the fact that you know about the consumer, you know what they're, what they're you know, People tell Google things that they wouldn't tell their best friend or their mom, right? So how can how can we leverage that in a in a ethical and productive way to help people and help brands speak the language that their consumers are looking for, so that people don't have to do three or four searches to get to a good result that solves the situation they find themselves in. 
I think that's a great example and thanks for such an extended answer. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Ryan, and helping me to produce my first ever podcast episode and appreciate taking the time to share what you've learned over the years with us. If you want to share any useful links with me, uh, which we briefly discussed today, I'll make sure to include them in the description. And thanks again for uh, taking taking a chance to talk to me today. Yeah, th thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to to be here on the first episode. I, I look forward to many more in this series. Um, thank you so much for for these really great questions. And that does it for today. Hope you've liked an episode. And if you have any additional questions for me or our guest, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Simply Google my first and last name and you should be able to see profile links. If you liked an episode, please do subscribe to the Moments in Marketing podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you.